Marcy Gallagher and her husband owned Kilwin's Fudge and Ice Cream in downtown Asheville for 13 years before handing the store off during the pandemic. Now, a lot of people of means would fill their retirement with travel. Gallagher did something a little crazy. She wrote a piece of musical theater from scratch, found a composer, a director, a cast, and a theater. Writing this musical, stuff just comes out of my head, and I don't know where it comes from. But I had no training, I didn't do an outline, I have an idea for a story, and I just go with it. I'm Matt Pikin, and this is The Overlook, a podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. Now, I have a soft spot for people who do something so many others would be afraid to do, step outside their scope of experience, and indulge their artistic streak. Marcy Gallagher's new stage musical is called At the Cafe, and it premieres inside the McGuire Theater at the Wortham Center August 18th to 27th. We'll talk about Gallagher's commitment, investment, and bring her vision to reality. We'll also get into the story she wants to tell about middle-aged women and how she defines success for this show. Nina Kawar is an intuitive ceramic sculptor in Asheville who draws inspiration from psychological, biological, and spiritual patterns. Her new solo show is called Elemental Energy. There will be works large and small, two-dimensional wall pieces, and installation. The show runs through September 30th, but you can meet the artist at the opening reception 5 to 8 p.m. this Friday, August 4th at Mars Landing Galleries in Mars Hill. Details are at MarsLandingGalleries.com. I started our conversation by asking Marcy Gallagher what led her and her husband to leave Florida 15 years ago to take over the Kilwin shop. (laughs) Everything's a story, Matt. We were living in Florida, and we were working at a large law firm. My husband's an attorney, and I was a paralegal. And I got breast cancer in 2004. And at that point, after my recovery with chemo and everything, I said to Tom, we need to do something different. We need to get out of Florida. Because I felt, for me, it was toxic with the heat and the crowds and the traffic. And we had been coming up to Asheville for many years on vacation. And every time we would go back to Florida, I would grab a tree and I would say, no, don't take me home. So we decided to come up to Asheville, but what were we going to do? And my sister owned a Kilwins in Fort Lauderdale, and we thought, what a cool business. So we opened the Kilwins in 2008, April 2nd, and that was a a brand new venture for us. We had never owned a business before. Let alone that kind of business. Yeah, risk-taking, obviously, especially during that period of time. 2007, 2008 was very risky. But we hung with it, and we put our heart and soul and money into it. And uh, 13 years later, we sold it and embarking on something new. One of the new things you're doing is this piece of musical theater at the cafe. So let me ask you, had you been involved in theater at all? You were paralegal. What was your involvement in the stage arts up until then? Zero, zilch, nada. Okay. So you had no involvement in writing or in musical theater. Had you written before? Yes. I've dabbled in writing all my life, but dabble is the right word because it would just be for my own enjoyment. 
What kinds of things were you writing for your own enjoyment? Mostly poetry, and then I did write a novel, and I don't even remember when it was, but I, I just never took it anywhere. It was just something to pass time after I was working full-time at the law firm. And then I got an opportunity to write for a romance novel company. It's actually a personalized romance novel company called YourNovel.com. I entered a contest for their writing, and I won. It was a free trip to the Grove Park Inn, interestingly enough. Wait, were you already living here? No, we were still living in Florida. So that was a great opportunity to come to Asheville. So tell me about what you wrote that won this competition. Now, what did winning entail? It entailed writing a short story involving a couple, any couple, that was a romance adventure romp kind of thing. And it was a short story, and it had to include characteristics of the couple, such as eye color, hair color, the car he drives, her favorite radio station, their favorite music, just all kinds of characteristics of the couple. And the publishers have a way of taking those characteristics and inserting the name of the purchasers of a book. And wait, a, wait a second. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm getting a sense of this now. So the people who buy this book, they give their names. So there are spaces left blank in the word processing in the yes. software. Yes. So you write the core base novel. Got it. And that these people who buy the book insert their names, Fred and Nancy, and that gets into the book. The book. Now, these characteristics, are they also flexible based on what the couple provides? Or how does this work? Yeah, hair color, brown, eye color, blue, favorite radio station, whatever. Right. Kind of car he drives, Chevrolet truck. Okay, so wait, so you entered this competition. Did you have to pay to enter this? Did no. You, nothing like that. Okay, no. so you wrote and you won. And then did you start producing some of these books for them? What I would do, they asked me to write the full novels because they were embarking on travel writing, the owners of the company, and they wanted to hire some contract writers. And they liked my story. And so they said, why don't you pitch us a story and do a full length novel? And I said, Kathy, there's a big difference between writing a short story and a full length novel. And she says, oh, I know you can do it. So I did it. Tom and I came up with a story. And I wrote it, and it's now on their website. And then I wrote four more. What was your training? What was your education in terms of writing a novel? Now, there's volumes and volumes. There's entire libraries of books of how to write a novel. What, how did you learn? I didn't. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I mean, it's like writing this musical. Stuff just comes out of my head, and I don't know where it comes from. But... I had no training, I didn't do an outline, I have an idea for a story, and I just go with it. And that is totally against every rule. Actually, it's not. It's not? No, no, actually not. Writers strive for that kind of inspiration. And you, what often happens in literary fiction is writers will just spit out ideas like this and just run on stream of consciousness and then backtrack and then edit. They'll go through and do that. Now, some people outline, some people don't outline. They have, okay. an, they have a rough idea. So there's, there is no rule book to this, but there are 
rule books. There are so many books on this. And I was just curious what your guiding light was in this. So you just had ideas and just put them on paper. Yes. Okay. So you wrote a a number of these novels. (laughs) Sounds like you enjoyed it. Oh, I loved it. And that was while I was working full time as a paralegal. So it was just on the side. You got to do this on the side. You got paid. A very small amount, a very small royalty. But doing something like this, I found you don't do it for the money. You do it for the passion. Yeah, but that's the trap that artists fall into, is that people who take advantage of their skill or whatever they're bringing to the table say, well, you like doing this, so that's your pay. That's the stereotype that happens in the arts, that whether it's a a muralist, hey, we love your work, can you paint something for the side of our building and we'll we'll put your name there, We'll, we'll give you credit, or we need a song for something, can you provide a little music, like a theme song? And we'll always credit you with this. Or there might be some small token of payment. That happens in the arts a lot. It sounds like the people who had yournovel.com, now I don't know if they're still running this business. Yes, they are. They are. are. <laughs> okay. So they decide, well, they want to do travel writing. They're going to get people like you on the cheap or next to nothing to do the work for them. And if it sells, you get a little bit of the royalty. Yes. That Doesn't that say, look, you, your husband was a lawyer. <laughs> that, that sounds like, how did you let that happen? Again, it was more more the enjoyment of doing it and I was working too and we were making decent money so it's not like I needed the money it was more when Kathy would call me and say just want you to know that a couple in Australia bought Rome Diamonds Danger and Desire and loved it isn't that payment that that to me is emotional payment for me That's great. It shouldn't be an either or. I understand. So you had a number of these novels. Some of Mm -hmm. them did okay. Can people search for these novels, like, for instance, on Amazon and find your name on them? No. Because they're personalized and they have a program that they do, they're done through yournovel.com and then mailed to individual what a racket. This is (laughs) what an exploitative racket. It's, It's actually, I don't know, they have three or four other contract writers. Okay, and, that's you know, great. E- even though it's a small amount, it adds up over time. When you get a check for $150 quarterly or whatever, and who, you're like, oh, okay. Who knows how many thousands of sales have gone into that $150 check? They itemize how many books are sold and how many and the sales. So. How, do you know how many novels you sold so far, oh, roughly? Oh, gosh. A thousand or more. Okay, that's great. But it's validation. So you had this experience writing for yournovel.com. How did the idea to then write a play, let alone a piece of musical theater, when did that first take hold? Okay, so it was probably mid-2019. Tom and I went to see The Greatest Showman. I don't know if you saw it. It's, It's a musical movie starring Hugh Jackman. And I absolutely loved it. The music was great. The I, It was a great story. And I don't know, something started happening in my head that I really would like to write one of those. So the next morning, I said to Tom, I think I'm going to write a musical. And he said, okay. And in his mind, he's thinking, the only music experience she has is singing in the shower. How is she going to pull this off? Did that question even enter your mind? How are you going to pull this off? It was a leap of faith. I knew that if I had the script and the lyrics, that at some point, especially living in Asheville, where there are so many talented 
singer-songwriters, that eventually I would find one. Again, it was a leap of faith. <laughs> so you told yourself you were going to write mm-hmm. some musical theater before you had the idea for what the story would be? It was percolating. So when I sat down at the computer, I knew what my story was going to be. I, I just, I, I had the story, I had the theme, I had the characters, and it was just a matter of where did they go from here? We'll talk about the theme and the story. What were they back then? And then we'll talk about how they evolved. But what were the initial things that you thought to write about? I wanted to write about middle-aged women. And my first thought was, oh, well, that's boring. But then I started thinking, no, it's not boring. It's relevant. It's timely. Especially in this day and age when youth seems to be the preferred culture and middle-aged women, in fact, some are even being told they're past their prime. So I thought, let's give middle-aged women a voice and let's put a different spin on middle-aged. Let's put a more positive spin on it and have women feel good about themselves at middle age and beyond. So that's the theme and, and where the story is, is coming from. What were the positive things about middle age that you wanted to spotlight? The fact that we've lived through so many things. Every age has gone through a lot. The 30s and 40s, people went through a world war and a stock market crash. In our generation, we've gone through the Vietnam War. We've gone through women shattering glass ceilings. We've gone through the technology explosion. And through that, all of that, and besides the fact that women were also in our age group, baby boomers, shall we say, a lot of women went into the job market as well as having children. And there's also a lot of things where I think there was a song where something about, and I bring home the bacon and cook it too or something. That's the thing. And then when the kids leave the house and there's empty nest syndrome, what do women do from there? Yeah, so there are things you are celebrating, but also open questions that you had. So once you had that down, how was it writing in a theatrical form versus a novel form. When you're dealing in literature or novel, there's narration you can have juxtaposed with some dialogue, and there's different ways of telling a story. Stage play is entirely dialogue, unless you have somebody who's on or off stage who's giving some narrative bridges, but it's almost entirely dialogue. Talk about the challenge of moving from one form of writing to the next. Actually, I found it quite easy. And the reason is because it was just natural dialogue. It was what me and my friends would talk about. It's so it was easy to put them in a a space. And they're four friends, and they're talking about their lives. So that was pretty easy. With novel writing, like you said, there's narrative as well as dialogue. There's descriptions. You want to describe a scene through words. It was a natural form for me. So how did you go about embodying the different voices of the women? Who were the archetypes of the women? Did you design them to be distinct archetypes among each four? Situationally. And by that, I mean, 
Molly is, her husband ran out on her with a younger woman and didn't leave her enough money. So she's having to enter the job market in middle age. So that's a situation that she's in. Lorraine has had a wonderful life, a career in education, a great husband, but she's dealing with the fact that her father has Alzheimer's. And that, to me, at this stage in our lives, is very relatable because of the prevalence of dementia and Alzheimer's. And so she's got her own struggles that she's dealing with. Then there's Nancy, who is winding down her career as her husband is on an upswing in his career. He is a computer analyst and a programmer, and he is faced with the crashing of a program right before it went live. So he's having to work late at night and even on weekends and then tells her he has to stay overnight. And of course, the wheels start turning in her head. He must be having an affair. So she has her doubts about her marital relationship and the question of, I'm winding down my career, what's next? So that, to me, is a situation that a lot of women are in. And then the fourth character is a hoot. Her name is Sandra, and she's a southern gal, but she's got sass. And her husband, she decided she would marry a rich man because she wants to remain having a youthful face and figure, so Botox, liposuction, tucks and lifts. And to do that, so she married a rich guy. Does she love him? Yeah. But it was, in one of the songs, it was his money that first attracted her to him. Hey, Overlook audience, did you know that every month I produce more than 400 minutes of exclusive local content relevant to life in Asheville? The Overlook is a one-man band, well, along with the fantastic, generous guests I invite onto the show, but my point is I'm delivering something Asheville has never had before. If you value The Overlook, if it makes you a more informed and engaged citizen, consider joining my Patreon campaign. You can be a sustaining member for as little as 5 a month. Your support would mean the world to me. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash the Overlook Podcast. Now, what did you want to achieve through a musical that would be different than just being able to tell this story in a straight play? I don't know. I think it was the fact that I, w- I wanted to not only tell the story through dialogue, but also have each character have their own song kind of thing where the story develops through these songs. And through these songs, the audience learns what the character is going through. And I just like the idea of a musical, of telling their stories through song. You wrote the lyrics for these songs as well, right? So, yes. so you had never written in this form before. You went to this musical that you saw that you got inspired Once you were in the thick of it, was there anything that developed for you or challenged you in a way you just did not anticipate? The challenge was the beat of the songs and the tenor of the songs and not knowing, okay, here's my words on the paper, which were written in poetry form, 
and I've done poetry in the past. Wait, you wrote the song lyrics as poetry initially? Yes, yes. And again, not having any musical experience, I'm thinking in my mind, what does this song sound like? But it was, again, a leap of faith that I would find a songwriter who would be able to take those lyrics and make magic with them. How I knew that, I don't know, but I just knew it would present itself. So how did you find your composer? That's a story in itself. So our friend Blaine Greenfield, and we call him the man about town because he goes to all the plays, a lot of concerts, restaurants. He has a blog that he gives reviews on different things. And he has some neighbors who are new to the area. Their musical name is Tumo Kors, K-O-H-R-S. And so he invited us to one of their performances. So we went, and here's this young lady and this gentleman, and I learned that they were not married partners, but they're musical partners. She sang a lot of her own songs. And I had this, I'm sitting there, and this is August 2022. So when the pandemic hit, I put my baby to bed at the cafe script. And I just, I didn't really think about it until I heard Sarah sing her songs. And after the performance, I went over to Blaine and I said, Blaine, do you think Sarah would be interested in writing the music for At The Cafe? Now, Blaine knew about At The Cafe because I, I told, they're very good friends, him and Cynthia, and I told him about it. And he said, sure. Now, how he knew what Sarah would say is whatever. That's just Blaine. He's just positive. So he introduced us over the email and I met her and I gave her the script and we talked for a while and instantly I had a connection with her. She's quite a bit younger than me, but we just, we just had this connection and I gave her the script and I said, take it home and read it. And if you don't, if you're not interested, don't worry about it. I want you to be comfortable with this. I want you to create and enjoy. So she gave me no guarantee. She took the script home and I'm on pins and needles waiting to hear from her. Finally, after two weeks, she called me, and we were meet, we'd been meeting at a coffee shop. And I thought she was going to hand me the script back and say, this, this isn't for me, I write my own stuff. And instead, she had a, a, a big briefcase-type thing. She pulls out a computer, she pulls out headphones, she puts the headphones on me and says, listen, she had written the first two songs, melodies for the first two songs, and I was blown away. It was exactly what I had envisioned, even though I had no music or anything. That's really kind of remarkable that her music that she wrote for this was what you were hearing. Now, you already had a finished script at this point. How did the music change this show? It brought it to life. It just blossomed. The, the whole story blossomed with this music. Yeah, having the script was nice, but having Sarah's music was... I, I can't even explain to you how it completely changed the whole feeling of, of the entire story. What's the instrumentation going to be for this show? Because at the rehearsal, it was just a keyboard player. What's the instrumentation? And that's, the, that's going to be the instrumentation. Just a keyboard and the vocalist. Yes. We're very low budget. I'm learning that producing a theater piece like this is very expensive. 
you're getting to a subject that I was curious about because you're at the Wortham Center for the Performing Arts, yes. which is a rental facility by and large. You're paying for this, yes. I imagine. And how many performances are you doing? Six. So six performances at the Wortham on the main stage or in the no. oh, in the McGuire Theater? We're in the McGuire okay, Theater. That, okay. So still, it's not cheap. No. You're paying thousands of dollars for yes. this. Why? It goes back to the personalized romance novels. It's more, and I don't want this to sound cheesy, but when we did it, we did a preview at Weaverville, and we did four songs. And the audience reaction, they laughed, they cried, they applauded. Afterwards... They cried? Yeah. There's one song that puts a lot of people in tears. Wow, okay. Yeah. And it's not... It's the words of music, but and I and I have to give credit to to the actors because from day one of rehearsals they embodied those characters. They just fell into their characters. Now, are these experienced performers? Yes. Where did you get them? Find them. They're, they're local community theater performers. Again, Blaine introduced me to some of them. Ellen Pappas, who is major into theater and music in Asheville, she also knew people. It was a matter of just putting the word out, and we didn't have any auditions or anything. It was more or less, this is a really good actress and singer. Call her up. And with Roberta Whiteside, who plays Lorraine, I never even met her before. I just took the word of the people who knew her, as a fine performer, and she has turned out to be absolutely incredible. That's wonderful that you found these people, and without an audition that you found these people. We got away from the question of investing, and (laughs) this is costing you thousands of dollars, not to mention how many hours of this. It's one thing to write the play, and like you said, you had written a novel before that you just put on the shelf that never went anywhere. Right. That could have easily happened with this. You wrote a piece of musical theater, and that could have happened here. Why this deep investment to put it out there now? The deep investment is to, to share this work with audiences, to bring a positive outlook to middle-aged women. That's important to me. I'm hoping that this show will go beyond Asheville. There are websites and there are theater groups who actually look for scripts to produce in their own community theaters whether it's Western North Carolina, whether it's the state of North Carolina, or it would be incredible nationally. This show has six total characters, which is a good number. It has 13 original songs. It has a very simple set. And what I've learned is those are what people look for if they're artistic directors and they want to pick up a new piece. So that's my end game. That's quite an ambitious uh, thought at this point. (laughs) Uh, Now, has this kindled your writing gene to write other pieces of musical theater? Oh, yes. This is my new career. Absolutely. I've got three ideas floating in my head. But my husband tells me, you can't start one without finishing the other. So that's also not true. I know it's not. (laughs) Believe me, there's a lot of stuff going in my head. I've written some notes uh, about them. So yeah, this this is what I'm going to be doing. So do you feel like regardless of what happens, let's say at the cafe, 
isn't picked up by another theater company, that it just lives and ends with this run at the Wortham, will you still consider that a success? Yes, because it went from words on a page to a theater production. And for me, it was an amazing accomplishment because it was a little bit of gumption on my part and an investment, like you say, but I have some money put aside for hobbies. People have hobbies, and mine just happens to be a fairly expensive one, all at one shot. The paralegal experience, it just gave me some business sense of what needs to be done. So finding a venue, finding actors, opening a bank account under that name, starting an LLC to keep everything separate, copywriting the material, trademarking the songs. So I knew that there were steps that had to be taken before we even got off the ground with it. And so that was extremely helpful. And then in typing, that's what I did, organizing, doing charts and stuff. I've I've done charts on costume changes. So those kind of skills were direct result of being a paralegal. But from a hobby to make it a new career requires some investment, I think. Investment in time, investment in energy, investment in money. And if we're lucky and we fill all the seats, we may break even. Our new First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theoverlookpodcast. I'd like to thank my guest today, Marcy Gallagher, whose new musical At the Cafe premieres August 18th at the McGuire Theater inside the Wortham Center. And as with most of my interviews, today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater, whose owners, Susan and Giles Collard, have been so gracious enough to allow me to use as my second broadcast studio. Our theme music for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are available every Monday through Thursday morning. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.